very excited to come back with part three and you know i'm trying to only do three parts but you guys are loving it so much i might go on and do a part four there are actually so many steps to teach and this is so incredibly important but so many of us we want an amazing community an amazing community honestly starts with the youth and as parents you know we all want you know children like this and maybe you're a young parent maybe you're a parent who's had teenagers by now maybe you're not even married at all but here's the thing understanding how the prophet peace be upon him did things in general is one of the best things we can ever do and one of the things I did, I remember when I first wanted to learn things, I literally would just go into books like Riyadh Salihin, and I would just read them just as much as I would read the Quran. And what these books contain, and these volumes contain, is exactly how the Prophet did everything. How he woke up, how he bathed, how he said hello, how he put his clothes on. And subhanAllah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, when we look at how he did things, is there any other way to do them? He did things the most pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So why would we not want to inquire how he dealt with children. And I think children get so left out. And that's why so many of us feel left out, right? We feel like we weren't dealt with properly. Well, well, maybe if we could cycle interrupt, maybe if we could do things better, do things differently, wouldn't we want that? Wouldn't we want a next generation of children who felt whole, who felt loved, who felt they had patience for them and compassion the way we wish for ourselves, right? Well, we could do that. We could do that, alhamdulillah. Now, this is part three of the series, but if you go back to one and two, you learn that there are building blocks to making children feel whole and happy and devout like lovers of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the Prophet peace be upon him. So building blocks like a one and two, but I have some more today, but there's definitely a sequence. So go back if you didn't, but today we're going to go into part three of how the Prophet peace be upon him dealt with children. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. So, so happy to be with you with another part of a series that we're doing called How the Prophet, peace be upon him, dealt with children. And it's really, really important that if you miss parts one and two, you go back. I'll be right here waiting for you when you get back to part three. But definitely a beautiful series. And, you know, honestly, some of them, I think the first one was very long. I did. It was like 45 minutes. But that was only because, gosh, there was so much information. I probably would have had to put it into part two. But what I would say is probably listen to that one in two parts so you can kind of digest what I I spoke about in the first part then the second part and move on but definitely definitely gems and in the future i will probably end up making um, a course on this for parenting and include some of this stuff but for now i mean just enjoy what's there and really try to implement it because it sounds simple but it's actually so much harder sometimes because it involves us us parenting us first but today we're going to talk about um the next step which is building faith, building that worship with the child, making sure the child really, um, you know, is able to, um, do all the things we want them to do. And it's beyond just building the faith part. We're going to go into the actual technicalities of worship. So last time we kind of spoke about, you know, as a parent, how to get them to like, once you love a lot and all that stuff, but like, how do you actually deal with the worship aspects, like getting your kid to pray, getting your kid to fast? If you notice, this isn't the first thing we jump to, because that's not what the prophet did. He didn't jump around, wag fingers, and talk about rules. Pray now, you're going to go to a nut. Like this is not his approach. And this is most of um, parenting approach for Muslims these days, which is why like most Muslims are running away from Salah, right? They don't feel a connection. They don't feel a connection with Allah. You know how many Muslims tell me they feel numb in their heart? Well, what if instead we had someone who associated prayer with something beautiful, like an oasis, like this beautiful 
place of refuge that we go to, to become whole again, to feel good, to get peace, to get sanctity? What if we got that as a child? How would that have changed our ibadah today as an adult? Well, that's what the Prophet, peace be upon him, did with children. And we're going to look deeper into small little stories of how that happened and different tips and so forth. So excited to bring that to you today. If you don't already know me, my name is Mindful Muslima, and this is the Mindful Muslima Speaks podcast. If you're new here, welcome. If you've been here with me for a while, then, you know, always glad to be here with you. So, so love loyal listeners. And if you haven't already, definitely leave us a review. We love to read them. I read them all the time, and sometimes I give shout-outs. The last time I promised I'm going to start giving out shout-outs, I want to give a shout-out to a sister that I really appreciate. She left us a review, and you could tell it's a truly heartfelt review. So this shout-out is to It's... Mishmish. Yeah, that's the, that's the name she put there. It's Mishmish. She said, my friend and I had had extremely difficult childhoods and your podcast feels exactly what I needed, but never received from my mom. Thank you so much. We talked about how we need real tools to improve our lives and not just solidarity. And I sent her your podcast right away because I was that blown away by your advice and resources. I'm tired of supplementing haram advice like horoscopes and stuff from non-believers or having to filter it and so grateful a Muslimah is helping other sisters. May Allah reward you endlessly. I mean, I could write a whole essay, but you get the idea. Thank you for giving me so much hope in the midst of personal crisis and self-doubt. I mean, I'm truly honored and I want to say that I relate to so much of what you're saying because I felt I needed the same. And when I was able to go under teachers and get that information, it's literally now become my life mission to make sure that we give that back. And that's why I have the topic of today of how the prophet, peace be upon him, dealt with children. Because as I got this information, was able to put it into my motherhood. I want that so much for other women. And honestly, I was like tearing up as I was reading that sister's um, review because I can relate as a person who struggled as a youth and didn't have that guidance. So alhamdulillah, I'm glad you found that with us, sis. And if you ever felt inspired by the podcast, do share it because again, as people scroll through the internet world, they do find it inspiring to read other people's reviews. Then they could stop, get help, and then they would get reward and, and have an easier life. And you would obviously take part in that reward with them. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reward you all. So jazakumallahu khairan. So um, just wanted to say, I'm very excited. I've been, I just finished up the um, marriage interview workshop with so many of you. Shout out to all those women and all of your really, really hard work. A lot of them have just really spent days and days just trying to work on their best self, become their best versions. And ladies, this is really important before marriage. It's really important before um, you know, having children. So if you're a woman who is not yet married and looking for a spouse, um, you think today I might, some people, I let them in to hear the recordings or the replays or something if they still join, but we definitely have an entire um, program that we are actually just opening up today where we teach how to find the spouse by the sunnah. And you know, part of, um, part of marriage is your other half right? Who's the father that's going to be teaching all this stuff to your children with you? And for the parents who are married already, you know, like this is important for you too. As a mom, if you're listening to this, if you're going to be raising children, knowing how to raise them to be amazing spouses is just as important because this starts from toddlerhood. I start from my child's a toddler to tell them how to be a good woman or how to be a good man, according to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So just FYI, because people have been asking me, yes, parents can take this course too. Sometimes they actually take it with their teenagers. That way they can 
learn together. And if it wasn't something you were taught in your family, most of us weren't. And that's the beauty of Islam, right? Every time you get new information, you can just learn. So if you want more information from that, I'll make sure the link is below or you could DM me on Instagram. All right. So getting into today, we were talking about like, you know, worship. How can we get the kids to actually pray? How can we get them to actually fast and to love it? How did the prophet do that? Like what methods did he use? And the resources that I'm using today, they're from amazing places all over the Quran and Sunnah and also from some of the work of Hisham al-Awadi and he just does amazing work about children. And so I wanted to really highlight those things as I know not everybody has time in their life to go through these things. And so Alhamdulillah, bring it to you in little sound bites so that you can listen as you're driving or cleaning. I had a sister post on Instagram the other day that she was listening to me while she was, I think, cleaning her bedroom and wiping down her bed. <laughs> like she was just really like, you know, like the, the the bed posts and stuff. And she was just sending me. So I always love when people send me those things. So Jazakumallahu Khairan. Today we're going to talk about the three things the Prophet did when building the block of work. Worship. He always did things methodically. And that's why I said, you might don't go too fast with this information. Go slow. Try to learn a little bit and implement it. Don't get stuck anywhere where you get too stuck and be like, oh, you know what? Forget it. I can't do this block. It's a wash. No, 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 don't. Don't do that. The Prophet, peace be upon him, had incredible patience with children. And I'm sure he, you, you know, he had incredible patience with us. Us as believers, we're always doing the right thing. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, forgive us and protect us all. The first um, thing I want to talk about was that he trained children gradually. Training. Training was really important. And it wasn't like boot camp. Okay, we'll talk about that. Second, he created these positive associations, which actually blew my mind as an educator when I learned because I know that, you know, as parents, we just kind of want the best for our kids. We tend to like from our emotions, from our chest, just be like, don't do that. No, Urgh. you know, like that's what we do because we're constantly worried about kids, but to slow down and say, how can I make an, a positive association with this so that I can make them love it? It's just so smart. And I, and I hadn't thought of that. Even being an, an educator, we just do things because they're what you do. And as parents, we do things because what you do. But when you slow down and you do that, I just think, gosh, how that could have saved so many Muslim youth if they just would have felt love for so much of Islam, you know? Today with my voice, I'm so like choked up because I've been dealing with so many things. Um, after I I um, was a little bit sick recently. Um, I've also just been dealing with so many beautiful sisters and so many of their issues and just talking to them for so many hours together, so many different sisters and working with the sisters in the workshop. I think my voice is like, <laughs> my voice has had it. It's like, stop speaking. So alhamdulillah, I do try to take these periods of silence, but then I do also have to put on a podcast. So bear with me here. So first of all, children the eight, under the age of puberty are not accountable. And this is why, you know, all the children under the puberty, they go to Jannah, alhamdulillah. So if you're a mother and you've ever struggled and you've lost a child, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make it easy for you. But keep that that beautiful promise in our hearts. And thus, you know, children are not really re required to form um, acts of worship and ibadah, but obviously they did in the times of the Prophet. And he used that time to really get them to love it and to train them. So that was like their mini boot camp, but in a very positive way. And he would say, obviously, we all know the famous hadith, um, teach a boy to pray or a girl, you know, when they're seven years old and punish them if they don't do it after a 10. Because by 10, yes, they should start to do it. And so in addition, like they would also say, order a boy to pray when he's seven. So here's the thing, and that's from Abu Daud. We would 
do this or the prophet would do this and all the sahaba would do this like muslims do this um because you can't just expect your kid to stand up at 10 and pray for the first time and totally understand it and get it. and imagine if that was the first time he had to pray and it started to get counted for him all the mistakes he would make right it's kind of like you know getting in a car and driving without any instruction like that wouldn't go well so we want to obviously give them time to make mistakes so that when it's actually time to be counted for them that they can have the best chance with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to be fair, right? And some parents do that. Some parents don't. Some parents try to and they lose heart. You know, I'm losing heart because he doesn't want to. He's going to get off the iPad. I keep telling him, get off the iPad and pray. But guys, who's made him addicted to the iPad? We have to take some credit for how much time we give devices to children. I'm just going to be this, like, saying this flat out with parents. Devices destroy kids, like straight up. I'm not saying I don't ever give my kids devices. I just am telling you it's minimal. And so I know we've become used to letting them be on TVs and iPads and even phones we have kids with phones walking around like like it's like they're adults and they have the whole world in their pocket and beware of that and i didn't do a podcast recently on that but it's just quite the epidemic and i'm not judging or going against any parents who have given devices let me make this clear i'm just saying that we have to be aware we have to be aware of the things that we have handed them that are now stopping them from ibadah because they become so addicted or used to them or enthralled by them that other things are not as exciting. We have to make prayer exciting. And you're like, gosh, how can I compare with an iPad and all these games and the Xbox and the whatever? It's, it's, it's something we do from young. If you made a mistake, you can go back. There's always ways to fix things. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the turner of hearts. But we have to have a grip on these things. I actually have a resource inside, a free resource inside of my um, my website, www.mindful-muslimah.com. And it's about devices. It's about how like you can help your kids to deal with the devices it even has i think like a thing about like how to set rules in the house or how to set boundaries how to talk to them so please do feel free it's a totally free resource i just want you to have it and i want you to be able to just make an association with the things that we've given them that now might distract them that we have control we have control over those guys we can take them back we can create rules and yes they're gonna whine but my kids whine too but in case you're curious my kids don't get more than 45 minutes a day on devices and here's the thing um they know that they're a privilege in our house and then so far like for example and i talk kind of about this in the in the resource um it's something that can be taken away so we start the day every morning with full device time Absolutely. And then during the day, as they steal time from doing other things improperly, they lose time for device. So we create an association with devices that they're not for sure. You don't just get devices in my house. Devices are a luxury. Not everybody in the world gets to have devices. And so if you do get a device, um, you know, it's associated with having had done your stuff the rest of the day. That was fine. So you can now relax. We also try to create this association of do your work first and then your play comes as opposed to play is just going to happen because I feel like it, you know, which is like most of us, like these days as adults, we're stuck on phones as play devices and we just do them even though we haven't finished major things we know we're supposed to do. So creating from a young age this association with like you don't just get to do whatever you want you have responsibility that is incumbent upon us and if you've done that well you get to do your other stuff and if not well then that needs to get done first so there's that association that we create but then with prayer for us it's like something that's very very 
um, communal. And you'll see that it's something like in my house, we all pray together. Okay. We don't go into separate rooms. And some people are like, why? And I'm like, I know it's, it's, it's for certain communities. I think even like the Desi community, I noticed, I'm just going to say this flat out as a person who goes into different communities. I feel like in the Arab community, people do pray separately, but more homes I've seen Arabs pray together in Jama'a in the house. I don't see it as much in the Desi and I could be totally wrong, but I just really, really haven't. That's just my personal experience. Um, of just being in both groups as houses for the past 20 something years. And so just, um, you know, I, I don't know what in particular, cause there's so many houses, I can't make any sweeping generalization, but at the same time, what I want to say is in the, in the house of the prophet, peace be upon him, praying together in Jama'i was a good thing. It was the thing they did. And so that's something we can all know, regardless of our families, that that's what we work towards. So that's what we do in my house. And especially in Ramadan, it gets even bigger. So the kids love it. And especially in Ramadan, sometimes my son, we let him go forward and to lead certain things here and there when it's permissible. And so Alhamdulillah, we create this communal and it's very exciting for them. My, my son always gets really excited even weeks before because he knows we'll stop, we'll let him sit in, this, in, in, the, in the middle of us, recite Quran, not in prayer, obviously, just for like entertainment. And, you know, we pat him on the back and we say, great job. And, you know, we eat sweets together and we, you know, we, we create this feeling that Islam is a beautiful place. And this is something obviously my husband and I had to do together. Right. And so this is this is, again, my 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 plea for women as to when you're trying to pick a spouse like the spouse makes it because you can't know how many women like that would be great. But my husband, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But again, it comes back to spouse choosing. And so making sure that that choice is somebody else who's going to be aligned with the way you want to live your life and raise your kids is really important. So for the first, you know, from seven to 10, the prophet, peace be upon him, he used to um, do this with the kids and teaching a child to pray should never be an urgent task that creates tension. <laughs> and that's, that's what I think lives in our homes, right? Tension around Salah. Pray. I told you to pray. Why aren't you praying? It's like a lot, right? Like, come on, you can hear the echoes in the homes, right? But instead it was, instead of that, it was just endless opportunities for bonding, can you imagine? So like my husband and my son, they go to, it's their bonding time. My husband's like, I can't pray without you. Come be with me. I'm waiting for you. This is my husband says to my son. And so Alhamdulillah, he says, I'm coming, Baba. Just let me go make wudu. And they make wudu. And he says, Baba, did you pray? No, I'm still waiting for you. You know, and the kids take wudu forever. <laughs> my husband's always like, oh my gosh, please just make wudu. <laughs> So, Alhamdulillah, you know, teaching the kids to worship, um, not as a coercive pro process, but as, you know, as like pray or pray now, but there's no physical, psychological worry if they fail, if we start earlier, because it's something that we want them to start early and they make mistakes. But by the time they're 10, at least by then we've showed them a lot of good examples. And the prophet, peace be upon him, you know, he told us every child is born with this true nature to pray, but his parents convert him to something otherwise, subhanAllah, like Judaism or Christianity. And this is in Bukhari. So this is amazing. It just shows the power that children are innately pure. They want to do the right thing. But our parenting, our own loss, our own loss in this world can move them otherwise. And there's um, another mention in the Quran where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, when your Lord took from the children of Adam from their loins and their descendants and made them testify of themselves saying, am I not your Lord? They said, yes, we've testified. Lest you say on the day of resurrection, indeed, we were of this unaware. And that's in 7172. So no child is born upon anything else but the, the having a true fitra of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this, this true state of nature um, of Islam. His fitra is to be Muslim. His fitra is to pray. 
have we turned our children away from Salah? Because we've given them dangling distractions, TVs, iPads, toys, and made those things center, central in their lives before ibadah. That was taught to them. And I know that's hard for us to hear as parents. And I know why we do it. So let me take a step back. I'm a mom, a mom of five. I know why we do it. We're stressed. We're busy. Huh? But that goes back to our personal schedule. That's why I have videos for morning routines on YouTube and a whole bunch of other stuff. I mean, getting it control of your time as a mother is essential. Like right now, this podcast, I'm recording it before my children wake up after Fajr. How do you think I record podcasts with this much responsibility? You know, you have to find your balance. Find yours. It's not going to look like another sister's and that's okay. Just find yours. That's all I, I, I encourage you to do, sister. So the first thing he did was he, he did this early, right? And he, he trained them. So let's go into the first part, which is training. And the earlier you train someone, the better. Right? Because it gives them a more chance to do good. And this is why Abdullah ibn Mas'ud said, take care of your children and train them to pray and get them in the habit of doing good. Because doing good is a habit. And that's in um, Bayhaqi. So Abdullah ibn Mas'ud was young when he converted to Islam. So, you know, I want you to understand that it's really important that we think of it as something that is not going to, children are not going to be perfect from the beginning. They're not going to be perfect. And we have to try to say to ourselves, you know, that we're going to make this a priority. And so creating this opportunity for our kids through, um, through training. And Imam al-Ghazali wrote about the importance of training and parenting. And he said, adopting an effective method for training children is extremely important and necessary. It is because a child is in Allah's, is Allah's trust in parents. He is Allah's trust in parents' hands, and the children's heart is like a nice, clean, simple mirror, which, although is devoid of any types of impressions or shapes, is capable of accepting the influence of all types of impressions and influences, and it can be inclined towards anything you like. SubhanAllah, good or bad, right? Therefore, if good habits are inculcated in the child, then the child, after gaining such good upbringing, achieves the real success of life in this of this life and the next. And subhanAllah, imagine if your child was nurtured and became addicted, but addicted to good. Can you imagine if your child had the potential to become an amazing person with compulsive, just all they want to do is good deeds? It can totally be done if you train them early. And this is what the Prophet, peace be upon him, did. You know, And if he's going to do it when he's 10, when he's 20 and 30 and 40 and he's married, it's so much more likely that he's going to do it. The power we have as parents is just undeniable. And many of us, we, we give up our power to all of what's going on in the world today. And our stress, our stress really becomes our downfall because we can't deal with the kids. We get overwhelmed, right? And so we push them off into other people and other things that are eating them alive and destroying them. And then when we get them back and we find them uncontrollable, we're like, oh my goodness, this is even more overwhelming. And we've created this perpetual cycle. So as parents, I encourage you, and this is why I create like resources such as like my emotions course or my free classes or whatever. Getting control of ourselves as parents is, is honestly the root of so much of what we need to do in order to get successful because so much of our emotions stop us from our own ibadah and from our own instructing of our children because we don't have our own selves together. And that doesn't mean we're bad people. It doesn't mean we're bad Muslims. It just means it's a skill set we need to learn. And that's why we teach it to women in Mindful Muslim. And if you need help with that, let me know. DM me. 
All right. So he used to teach them in their prayers. He used to teach them all kinds of prayers. And um, he, in Hassan, the son of Ali ibn Abi Talib, he said, the messenger of Allah, peace be upon him, taught me some words to say in the witr prayer. He said, oh Allah, guide me amongst those whom you've guided and pardon me amongst those who have, you have pardoned and turn to me in friendship among those of you who you've turned to in friendship and bless me in that you have bestowed and save me from the evil that you have decreed for verily you decree and none can influence you and he is not humiliated whom you have befriended. Blessed are you, O Allah and exalted. And, you know, Hassan was the grandson of the Prophet, peace be upon him. I mean, he was seven years old when the Prophet passed away, but he remembered that he was taught that. Our children can learn so much more than we realize at a young age. And, you know, training the child is not just for prayers, it's in everything. The companions used to train their children also to fast. And some people are, you know, oh, they're too young. But let me tell you something. They're al-rubai, uh, um, a female companion, excuse me, used to encourage her children to fast for as long as they could endure thirst and hunger. And she said, we used to make wool toys for the boys. She said, and if anyone cried, we would give them the toys until it was time to break fast in Bukhari. And you might say like, what is this? You know, kids don't have to do that. But the companions did. And they understood the significance of training because the prophet, peace be upon him, trained children. And they understood that he was doing it for a reason, that because they weren't just going to be able to fast when it was time to fast. So they would just simply have them fast as long as they could. And they would encourage them, and they would reward them, and they, you know, they would just do all of that to make it a positive experience. And I'm sure you can come up with plenty of ways to distract your children other than iPads and things. I don't suggest to keep kids these things as they're fasting, and I really don't my own, my own house. Because it kind of takes away from the focus, right? I encourage, I always have other things set up. That's a whole other story we could talk about. Closer to Ramadan. But the second thing the Prophet, peace be upon him, did was he, so the first one was training. The second one was um, positive associations. And this is so brilliant. He just created positive associations. How many of us would have benefited from this as children had we had that? Instead of like, I hear stories of people getting beaten with sticks at the masjid and being yelled at and cursed at and made the jinn take you. And like, oh my gosh, Billah. this is so the opposite of everything the Prophet did. He didn't call his children haywan and kelbs and all. He basically would make the opposite. We curse our children in our homes. Oh, you're so bad. Look at you. He would tell the children, I love you. You're so amazing. May Allah bless you. May Allah guide you. May Allah increase you. May he make you a person of ilm, of knowledge. You're amazing. Imagine if you heard that as a child instead. Daily. Right? I think we, we can see the, the impact May Allah help us to be parents who <laughs> have the patience to stop ourselves in the moment and do that. I would like to show you how the Prophet um, inculcated the love of worship with kids by just giving one example here. And let me see if I can draw out the best one. Um, well, first of all, he used to give them little rewards, right? Sometimes he would say, and this is so brilliant. He would always associate prayer with something good after he's like, come pray. It's like, it's like saying, come pray with me at the mosque. And after we'll go stop by the supermarket and get a piece of candy. And you might say, well, that's bribery. No, it's positive association. <laughs> There's a difference because, you know, the bribery would be saying flat out, Hey, 
you know, I'll give you some candy if you pray. Like, that's not what we're doing. He's like, you know what? If you do pray, we might just be able to stop at that supermarket. Okay. And it's not for everything. It's just, you know, he would create that here and there. And he would give children dates sometimes. Or sometimes, you know, he would give them a little reward here and there. But um, Jabir ibn um, Samera said, I prayed along with the Prophet, peace be upon him, in the first prayer. And then he went to his family and I went along with him. And on the way we met some kids and he would pat them on the cheeks, each of them. And and also he patted me on my cheek and I experienced the coolness of the fragrance of his hands. So sometimes when he said reward, it was emotional. It was just affection. It was just patting and just rubbing his back and saying, great job. So when we talk about reward, it doesn't have to be a physical reward. It can be that as well. Another example is really, really smart. And this is how to deal with difficult children, right? So this example was um, from Abu... Um, let me see. Abu Mahdura was a young companion born as, as a non-Muslim. So he did this with a non-Muslim. And this incident happened in Mecca in uh, 630. And you know, there's this famous um, movie called The Message where the Bilal, he climbs to the Kaaba and he gives this beautiful um, adhan. And you know, at the time, that there were slaves and, and people who are black slaves, they weren't doing this. They weren't giving a then, they weren't leading communities. And this was something that Islam did. You know, talk about Black Lives Matter, like the Prophet, peace be upon him, he was he was part of the, the group that freed the slaves in that time because slavery was a huge, huge problem. And for people who don't understand Islam, you know, they don't understand that this was a sequence that happened over time. And that's not the to topic of today. But I will say that, because I didn't understand this sometimes at first, so I just wanted to throw it out there that, um, you know, Islam happened gradually. So for example, one of the first ayat of Quran wasn't to tell people to stop drinking. And people were heavily drinking then. Umar, he was a, a, an alcoholic even. And so subhanAllah, if that was the first ayat of Quran, it wouldn't have wouldn't have made him stop. Like, hey, stop drinking, right? But instead what happened was other ayat of Quran came first to make him love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that when the ayat came of you know, stop drinking, stop usury. It was like, of course, I love you a lot. So it was something similar with slavery in that time. You know, it was such a prevalent part of the economy. No one could just come with the first idol Quran, like stop this. So instead, you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made the, the companions and everyone to love Allah. And then he slowly brought down the rulings that made perfect sense to free that society from some ills of that time. And so I want you to picture a group of like non-Muslim boys and they're watching this then from, you know, this, 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 this man, he was actually a younger boy. It was not, he's not a man at the time standing up and he, they started making fun of him. They were mocking Bilal, right? And 10 of the children began to mock and mimic Bilal. Allahu Akbar. You know, I'm not going to, you know, copy what they did. They're mocking his then. And Abu uh, Mahdura was one of the boys, but he had a beautiful voice, actually, right? And the Prophet, peace be upon him, had like kind of overheard it. And he wasn't saying the adhan properly. So the Prophet, peace be upon him, he called for the boys to come to him. Now imagine they're non-Muslim boys. And the Prophet, peace be upon him, you know, he had asked, you know, the boys to all recite the adhan so he could hear it. And so they did one by one out of fear, not because they like wanted to. And once the prophet, peace be upon him, heard the voice, he said, that's the one, that's the voice I heard. And then he let the other boys go. And he started teaching Abu Mahdura the actual event correctly. So subhanAllah, the prophet was actually recruiting talent. He actually liked his voice for Adhan. And in a slightly different um, narration, the prophet, peace be upon him, 
said, who is this voice I heard so loud? And the people all pointed to me and they were telling the truth. And he sent them away, but kept me there and said, stand up and give the call to prayer. So I stood up and there was nothing more hateful to me than the messenger of Allah. And when he told me to do it, I did it. But I stood up in front of him and he himself taught me the call to prayer. But this is an example of a very different than I think we've heard before. But what happened was when he finished saying the adhan, and this is the part about positive association, the prophet put his hand on his forelock, passed it over his face to his chest, over his heart, and then made dua for him. May Allah bless you and send blessings upon you. Now he's a child. You can't, you know, as an adult. Oh, messenger of Allah, do you, and then, and then he felt like, oh, you're being kind to me. And then he said to the prophet, peace be upon him, oh, messenger of Allah, do you command me to give the call to prayer in Makkah? And he said, yes. And he said, then all of a sudden, the hatred I felt towards the prophet, peace be upon him, disappeared. And it was replaced with love for him. See, the heart of a child is still open. And sometimes they they act like they hate us, even as parents, right? And they're difficult with us. But the amount of compassion and love that we can show them, what he did was so smart. He didn't come and scold him. How dare you mock Bilal? He's like, you know what? There's some good in you. Why don't we focus on that right now? It was almost like a distraction into a positive association. And he made the boy become a person who calls people to prayer. I mean, I think if you would just scolded him and sent him away, what would happen, right? But I'm like, oh, you know, this guy, who does he think he is? He would have went on being a non-Muslim and just, you know, doing whatever he would be doing, you know, not calling anyone to khair, right? To good. But instead now he's, he has him in, in like the best worship there is, which is being a muaddin, being a caller to prayer. And you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we are taught like from the, the Prophet peace be upon him that the people who are muaddin, their necks will be long and outstretched in the day of, uh, you know, in, 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 in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is a beautiful thing because they will have be known as the ones who called the people to success. Alhamdulillah. I mean, so beautiful. So, you know, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala know that one of the things we can do is, you know, we can say to our children, may Allah bless you. May Allah reward you. I'm so proud of you. What a great job you just did. Just this positive association. And he said that the Prophet, peace, the Messenger of Allah, peace be upon him, used to, um, the same uh, child used to, used to gently pat our shoulders at the time of prayer. And, and, and so, like, also this association with, when the children are praying, patting them to be in a good row and rubbing their back and rubbing their head and saying good job and everything, and especially on the edges of rows, you know, and just looking forward to these gentle touches and caresses that children need, even as boys. And so subhanAllah. And lastly, the thing is the rewarding I wanted to go into. And we saw that the Prophet, peace be upon him, rewarded Abu Mahdura by making him the Mu'addin of Makkah right? Rewarding was one of the things the prophet used to develop in the child's love for worship. And again, rewarding doesn't have to be something physical. And so alhamdulillah, um, you know, he used to also reward them by making dua for them. So for example, one time the prophet, peace be upon him, he went to the lavatory and he came out and Abdullah bin Abbas, he placed water for him for ablution. And he said, who did this? Who put this water here? The prophet, peace be upon him, asked. And Ibn Abbas obviously said it was for him. And he said, and Ibn Abbas tells the narration that the Prophet, peace be upon him, said, Oh Allah, make him a learned scholar in this religion, in Bukhari. So in another narration, he said, Oh Allah, teach him wisdom and the interpretation of the book in Ibn Majah. So we are not sure how, uh, you know, Ibn Abbas had taken this later on until later when we saw him as a great scholar, but we know he was, he was very young in these times, eight, nine years old. And even there's an account, very, very famous account when he was nine years old, riding with the prophet, peace be upon him. And he asked him for some words of advice. 
right? And the Prophet, peace be upon him, was teaching him about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he said, you know, teach me some words of advice. And he said, be mindful of Allah and Allah will protect you. Be mindful of Allah and you will find him in front of you. If you ask, then ask of Allah. If you seek help, seek help from Allah. And know that if the people were gathered together to benefit you anything, they would not benefit you except with that what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had already prescribed for you. And if they were to gather together to harm you with anything, they couldn't harm you except with what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala prescribed to you. The pens have been lifted, the pages have dried. And this even shows that a nine-year-old boy can understand this concept. I mean, in that time, there were still the pressures of society and people making people feel afraid and the threats and the, you know, all the things that we go through, even as adults, right? How many times as adults do we need to be reminded that people can't hurt you unless Allah allowed and if Allah allows, you know, everyone to help you, he'll allow them to help you. And sometimes we need to hear that. But even for a boy, he could. And there was much greater reward. There's much greater reward, ladies, in store for your children if you remind them of Allah in a loving way. May Allah make you knowledgeable. May Allah grant you a happy life. Instead of cursing them or telling them how horrible they are, it's really something we need to do. And it's not hard, right? It, it is hard, but it's not. It really means us being mindful, muraqaba. That's why we have the Mindful Muslim podcast, right? Just to remind you here. This is just a kind reminder to ourselves first and then you. May Allah help us to love our kids. May he make it easy for us to be kind to them, even when we find it hard. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make it easy for us as mothers, as fathers, as, as people who want the best and are just trying to figure it out in this crazy life, right? May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala help us to find the wisdom and the tools and the guidance to do this in the best of ways that are most pleasing to him. And you know, I had a grandmother, and I, the reason I know this works is I vividly remember as a child going to the house of my grandmother and she used to see me every time and she would go, gosh, you're just so beautiful. You're just so beautiful. I love you so much. And she used to always just hug me and she used to make me feel so good. And as a young girl who, you know, young girls didn't always feel so beautiful. That was really nice. And I didn't have a mother who did that. I'll be honest, but my grandma did. And I don't know why my grandma used to do that, but because my mother and my grandmother are very similar, but I don't know. She did. And I vividly remember this. And she would just say like, oh, you're such a good girl. You're so smart. Look at you. Oh, I'm so impressed with you. And I probably didn't do anything amazing, <laughs> to be honest. But it was just like the nature of her. But I remember the impact. I vividly remember how that made me feel. And imagine if we had people like that. And I want you to pay attention the next time you're scolding your child because we all scold our kids to the words you're saying that are coming out of your mouth, right? And... uh Subhanallah. It's it's something we need to be aware of. Because as much as we're trying to help our kids, we're we're sometimes hurting them. May Allah may Allah help us to to make this easy for us. And so lastly what I wanted to end with is that um you know, another way of rewarding your child is to empower them with a task or responsibility. So one way was making du'a for them, making them feel good about themselves. Another one was rewarding them. So that's what the Prophet peace be upon him also did with that boy. He gave them a chore. He gave them something to do. Like for my son, it's to set out the, the prayer mats before we pray. He gets this reward. We need his help or to set out some things before dinner with his sister. You know, we give them these opportunities. And in the end, you know, we all praise them for like, what a great job. When we go in public, when, you know, we say, oh, you know, he's always so helpful. He's always doing this. We let them to know that we recognize it. We recognize it in front of other adults. 
And that's something we do sometimes as parents too. Some parents, they don't, um, they, they talk badly about their kids in front of other parents. Please don't do that. It's something the prophet, peace be upon him, never did. We're always supposed to shield the fault of our children, not to a way of fakeness where we're like, hey, they never make any mistakes. No, my kids are amazing. No, no, no. But I mean, we're not supposed to divulge their sins and secrets. Um, it's actually wrong right? And something we don't like when it's done. And for us, let's be honest. And for some reason, we think it's okay for kids, but it's not. It's not something the prophet ever did. And so I want to tell you this other thing, and I know this might be confusing to people, but um, there were people who really, really learned at that time. And gosh, imagine if we could have our kids to be that learned at such a young age of six, seven, and eight. And um, there was this incident where there was, um, there was none of the clan who knew more of the Quran than Ibn Salama, you know, in the time. And, um, and there was, it was said in Abu Daud, therefore they put me in front of them when I was only a boy and I prayed in front of them and he led them in prayer. So um, Amr ibn Salama used to live in the outskirts of Medina and he didn't see the Prophet on a daily basis. However, he was a devout Muslim and loved to memorize the Quran. And whenever someone from Medina passed through the town, they would inform him of the knowledge that the Prophet had given about something. And when he was a boy, he was a boy with good memory and he memorized large parts of the Quran. So once his father and a group of the clan one went to meet the Prophet, peace be upon him. So this was a really exciting day. And the Prophet taught them prayer and asked them to pray in congregation. And they asked him who should lead the prayer, right? And he said, the one who knows the most Quran. Imagine that the Prophet's like the one with the most Quran should lead our prayer right now. And they look amongst the sea of people in Bukhari. Then Amr was put as their imam. And he was only six, uh, between six and eight years old. Can you guess how old he was between six and eight years old? Okay, so what is what is so important about this? Like why he was put in front of them as a boy? Oh, haram. You know, no, no, no. The ruling is whoever knows most of the Quran should lead the people in a group of congregation. This is how it works. Even when we have friends and gatherings, the first thing we do when everybody says who's going to lead the prayer, we said, well, who knows the most Quran? I do this with my friends. We turn around, we look around, whoever's in the gathering, if there's a new sister and she knows more, she's leading. You know, everybody's shy, but we do it. And this goes to teach you something very strong. In the time of the Prophet, peace be upon him, in that time, there was tribal society. There was never going to be a tribal elder leader who would pray behind a child, ever, except he would never be led by a child, except for matters um, related to Quran, related to this with the prayer, because children were empowered. Imagine that as a child, you can't lead anything. You can't lead an elder who's 67 years old. But if you had more Quran than them, you had a high level of respect. So this was also associated with great respect and empowerment with children was the Quran because it gave them status, but it was a status of the last subhanahu wa ta'ala. So let's end with some practical tips just in how to train your child to worship. Number one, be aware, first of all, that you're the role model. They're not going to pray if you don't get up and pray. You know, my husband is the first one. I'll be honest in my house. And then boom, it's mostly because I'm the mother, right? <laughs> I'm like, okay, I'm coming. You know, wash up because I'm always in the middle of cooking something. I'm in the middle of like changing diapers when it's like, and then, and you know, the men, they're less involved. It's not that they're not involved at all, but you know, it's a lot easier for them just to get up and go. So my husband, and then we all just drop what we're doing one by one and we go. But my point is, you know, being that role model in the house as a parent with your husband and agreeing that we drop, we get up, we move. It helps the children to understand that they do it too. It becomes a culture 
in the home. Number two, encourage your children to memorize verses of the Quran, sayings of the Prophet, things like that. And um, um, when uh, Ibrahim ibn Adam, um, a pivotal figure in Islamic history, said, my father told me every time you hear a hadith and memorize it, I will give you one dirham. It's not bad if you want to encourage them with certain things, but um, you know, whatever it takes to motivate your child, as long as it's halal, um, you know, we tell my kids we're giving them big parties at the end of a juz. We please finish the juz. We want to throw a huge party. We throw just parties before we throw any birthday parties. We don't throw birthday parties. We throw just parties. We throw parties when they memorize parts of the Quran and we tell everyone and we have a big cake and we everything and maybe we have them recite some Quran and we praise them and we we make dua upon them. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala help them to memorize more Quran. And for all the children, may Allah at the you know who are in the gathering help them to memorize more Quran. And we we make Quran the focus of excitement instead of, you know, just fleeting things. Number uh, three, encourage your children the five pillars. Don't speak them, but actually show them. And number four, encourage them to join you whenever they pray at every time. Thank you. Oh, I love to pray with you. Mommy loves to pray with you. Like my said, my husband does. We love to pray with you. Be with us. I'm waiting for you. It's a time of bonding. And the last um, two or three is um, train them to fast the way the companions did, just as long as they can. Reward them. Encourage them. Praise them. Number six, connect your children to the masjid as any way you can with something positive. And lastly, encourage your children to charity by letting them see you give charity even in the smallest ways or let them do small gifts and cards and whatever. Just let them to love one another in society and to feel they are doing good. I know this is another long podcast, ladies, but the Prophet, peace be upon him, he's he's undeniable in how amazing he is. And I didn't want to short um, change anything that he taught us in this in this regard. So Jazakumullahu Khairan for listening. Please share this podcast with another mother who could use this series and raising her kids. Couldn't we all? <laughs> Alhamdulillah, I know this information for me, and I'm not I'm not praising the podcast, I'm praising this information for me was pivotal. And so we all need a little bit easier time as parents in this modern time. So may Allah make it easy. Jazakumullahu khayr. And don't forget, ladies, if you feel this podcast has helped you in any way, also you can leave us a review down below. I would love, love to read them, and I will be giving shout-outs all this week and next. Jazakumullahu khayr. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.